focused in the summer and da da da. We're not. No. We're not. People yeah. in education, just as a general, are taking vacation then. They're taking vacation then. Mm-hmm. They're showing up to work, but they're not really working the, the full amount of hours. And I'm not saying I'm exempt from that, but like, we can push all the stuff off to summer, but if you, don't, if you haven't done things the last two summers, what's going to make summer 2018 different? Right. Nothing. <laughs> yes. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting mm-hmm. a different result. Can I get a gay man? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> I'm very RuPaulish. I don't know if that's true. Uh, so uh, I, I, after you said we should have started recording, I just pressed the record button. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> Had some good sound bites. <coughs> but yeah, that's, that's one of this week was terrible. And this semester has been the worst work semester ever. And in a strange way, everyone is going through their own kind of personal qualm. Mm. So it makes me not feel alone. Everyone feels a lot of sympathy. But like everyone's been going through these family issues and people being sick and, you know, gone for, you know, long weeks at a time. It's just very bizarre. And I think it just really put a damper on the mood and no one wants to talk about it, but it's acknowledged. Yeah. I think everyone's just rushing to get to commencement, which is, my God, next Saturday is commencement. We're, I think, two weeks away and ours is on a Thursday. Um. Which will be interesting because we're, this this is part of the intro, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Hey, it's Paul. <laughs> and Shamina. Um, we're here. You've already heard yeah, a little right. bit. We were just, yeah. Um, so to hop back into commencement, like for ours, I am sitting on the platform. Um, so ours is at a ballpark, AT&T Park. And Where Beyonce and Jay-Z. I know, right? I'll be standing right there. It's like right over second base. If you find like a little piece of her weave that she left behind, can you save me a a, a little thread? Thank you for asking. Probably not, but I'll be on the lookout. So just to be transparent and communicative. Um, (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. But yeah, it'll be interesting because I haven't been to commencement because it's such a, it's like a several, like it's like the day um, of not only being away from work, which is fine, like student issues should hopefully be calmed by then because finals will be over. But then like, there's a bunch of like, cl- like teeny tiny clothes, like tiny or large closeout stuff that could be happening, <coughs> excuse me, during that time. And yet I'm, I'm going to be away and hired because it's literally, I think it's all day. I think like we leave at like 1130 in the morning and it's done at like eight or nine. At nine, damn. Yeah. Well, because yeah. There's like pre-receptions and like there's a cocktail hour and then there's dinner, but then there's lunch before that. There's a travel to get down there. So it's just, it's going to be a thing. And I'm like, Lord, let, let me just remember to take my um, charger for my phone, like my portable <laughs> charger. Just <laughs> right. Yeah. Lord, be, be a reminder in that time as I'm getting ready. Because all those elevations, you're going to be losing signal. Yeah, right? So, so, yeah, bring that charger, girl. That's my, <laughs> that is my concern. I'm like, <laughs> let me put a reminder in my thing. To make, maybe I should bring two charges because I do have two. It sounds house. like you'll, you'll be le- uh, well-fed that day. Right? And I'm like, they were like cocktail. I was like, Are people going to be drinking? Because the ceremony, I think, starts at like 3 or 3.30. And I was like, oh, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Are people going to be on the platform like tipsy? Like, what is this? And then 
I think about who's on the platform and I was like, I think these people are, are they are generally stuffy from what I've seen. Uh-huh. And that's to say stuffy is a bad thing. Like um, they're academics and that's kind of, you know, the, the really structured, like I must present myself in this way until right. I let my hair down. I don't know. And I'm like, is there like an after party after this thing? Like, I don't know. I doubt it, but. <laughs> well, that's funny. Uh, you mentioned like, oh, people drinking at this time. So our commencement, we're a very small school. Um, we do two commencements, one for the graduating um, or the graduate students in the morning. There are ceremonies at eight in the morning. Ooh. Ugh. Hopefully they don't party too hard the night before. Yeah, I'm surprised they wouldn't do undergraduates that early, make them suffer. Yeah, I don't know what the logic is behind that. And then uh, it ends around like 11. And then there's a two hour break and then they set up the same space for uh, undergraduate <laughs> um, commencement. And in between, because we, we do this at the Norse Auditorium in Hayes Valley, the, okay. the faculty and all the staff, they just go right to the bar. It's like 11 in the morning. <laughs> and wow. like, let's just get lunch. Let's, you know, get some drinks and then we'll go back on stage and do this all over again. So it's, it's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. It'll be interesting to be in a space because I've, I've volunteered to like work and support the graduation program before, but to not have to be running around to do stuff. And the fact that they're like, you know, a few, maybe like a month or so ago, I got an email. It's like, give us your regalia size. Do we need to rent it? Do you have one? Do we need to get it pressed? We'll tell you how it's going to be transported from here to there. And I was like, oh, this is how it is? It felt very privileged. <laughs> be like, what is your, like, what's your height, your regalia, from what institution? Mm-hmm. What's your degree? And I was like, I never thought that I would, like, I remember throwing my stuff away after I got my master's degree because I was like, why am I going to need this? Like, I'm not. <laughs> Um, but the fact they're like, we'll rent it for you. And I was like, oh, like, I don't have to go scrambling of how to find it and to fund it. So it's just, it's a different level of detail that I don't have to pay attention to. Um, Must so be yeah, nice. Yeah, it feels nice right now. I'm like, the the type A in me is like, I hope they get it right. <laughs> right. It's like. <laughs> so I don't want to be in here in a robe that ain't mine and colors that don't match with my, my, uh, oh my alma mater and stuff. I don't even know. I don't even know how it looks to be honest, but I digress. Oh, sorry. That comment you just made about, let me check to see if it's right. Did you finish blackish yet? Um, no, I think I'm an episode or two behind. Uh, okay. So you haven't seen the scene where Bo and Ray, what's whatever Andre. his name? Andre. No, uh, please don't call him Ray. <laughs> his name is Andre. Thanks. Where uh, he was washing dishes and he left. And, and she did she, the dishes. You're right. <laughs> Low key. That doesn't exactly happen in my household, but I will put like groceries away. And if wife is listening, hashtag if she's listening, um, <laughs> because she'd be extra behind on the show, but that's fine. <clears throat> I will put groceries away. And then I swear like not even a few minutes will go by. All of a sudden she'll be gone from the room and like rearranging the stuff. So I've just been like, I just put the groceries, like the bags on the counter. Right, at this point. Or the table, so. You've done your part. You're not gonna help? For what, you're just gonna do it all over again? So why don't we just cut out me expending this energy thinking I'm doing something? But I can relate to that rewashing of the, the, and the redoing of stuff. Yes. I'm like, I'm not not even gonna try now, because what's Mm -hmm. the point? You're just gonna do it again. And then in the workplace, at some point, you just got to let it go. Yeah. Because you can't be doing three jobs for the rest of your life. No. And, you know, I'm that bitch that will do the, 
if somebody sends me something and I just did this, I probably did this three times this week. Um, not out of spite or anything, but that's just my thing. Cause I'm like, you're not going to learn if somebody else does it for you. So I'm the kind of person that's like, I hate when people say I'm the kind of person that whatever <laughs> I like to like talk me through it and then let me do it. Cause if you just uh, do it, I don't have to think about it and I don't have to like really ingrain how to do it in the future without you. Um, so I'm the person that if someone sends that something to me, uh, I will give I'm not going to fix it in the document. I'm going to go ahead and give you bullet points of what you need to fix and consider and apply. So yes. then that you can use your own brain energy to fix it. I know some people get pissed off. Like, why didn't you just fix it? Well, first of all, how, what is, what do you learn if I just do all the work? That means you can turn in stuff sloppy to me or not your best work, and then you just expect me to fix it. So no, you're going to have to either print this bad boy out or do a dual screen business <laughs> and like look at my bullet points and read and then apply. That's what, that's what you're going to do because I'm not going to do the work for you. I know that pisses people off and they'll be fine. They still do it. This is why I love the commenting and suggestion feature on Google Docs. I don't know if you use Google Docs at we don't, but in Word, you can do the comment stuff or the right. changes. I'm more so the comments. <laughs> right. Just the comment because they have to put in the energy and the yes. to fixing what they did. Yeah. So. Which is so weird because I'm like, it's an institution of higher education. This, we're, we're at school. You should be learning. Really? So, yes. Wow. That's how that works. You should be learning, period, as a, um, in life. But when you work at a school, learning is all around you and you are not exempt. And we'll end it on that note. I guess you're bossing, we're bossing just fine. Yeah. Water cooler talk. Um, I think we're going to try, there's been a lot of uh, shit, so to speak, that's been happening in the news the last few weeks and there's been some stuff that I felt like super impact either happened to me directly or that I have been a part of um, in the last let's say the last 10 years because I know people get in their feelings they're like is she talking about me from last week maybe I was but I won't say your name um, so in my career but there's some things that make you kind of think back to um, how often some of these like uh, insidious things happen. They're like, they seem small, but they're really, uh, they're really significant. And that's why you remember them for so much longer. So topic this week, we're going to talk about implicit bias. I am no expert on this topic aside from my unfortunate lived experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't even have a definition to be real honest. I was talking to a colleague the other day about this and I was like, for me, implicit bias, kind of in my layperson's non-academic non-dictionary terms was um, when people place a a label or a stereotype on someone before just by usually by visually seeing someone or even it's like he, hearing or reading the name and how the name sounds and then placing a whole set of um, often unwarranted expectations or um, uh, I don't have another word uh, on that person basically so they see me black person and they've already made up their mind about all these things and how they and that dictates how they treat me right um do you have another kind of that's as, as best as i can come with without diving deep into it yeah i mean i wanted to take that a step further into the the action the the bias part where 
people are, they are responding off of traits that are carried down from generation to generation to generation where one person or maybe a small sect of people had that attribute. Mm-hmm. And because of, you know, privilege and racism, those attributes just tend to stick with us as a people. Um, and then that becomes the trigger for, um, you know, white people, if we're talking about race or, yeah, the dominant race. Uh, see, I can't even, I need to be careful with my words. I have to be careful with my words. I mean, <laughs> the, the one that has more power in that situation tends to react negatively. Yeah. On those biases. Yeah, I that makes sense because I don't want to I don't want to academic it up too much. Yeah, um, right, right. Because uh, then I think people are like, mm, "This is too heady." I don't like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was. Uh, I'm trying to decide if I want to start with my own story. I'll start with my own story first, and then like a few other things that have happened fairly recently <laughs> in the last ten years <laughs> that have made me be like, "What in the hell?" So the other day. First of all, um, we probably won't ever get sponsored by this this plank, this place, but I don't think they do sponsorships. But whatever. Um, so Wells Fargo is trash. So oh, okay. the banking institution, um, predatory lending that a few years ago that they did, they had those millions of fake accounts that were created in people's names and whatnot. Um, and the most recent thing that they've done, and I'm not a big a fan of big banks anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I have a credit union. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I went in there to deposit some cash into my mom's bank account because my mom is older, so she goes with what she knows. Um, <sighs> sorry, I'm frustrated. I was frustrated by the whole thing. So I go in to deposit cash into her bank account. I have her bank account number. Um, and every month, you know, I deposit some money in there. So, um, because that's what I'm, I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I want to do it. I go in there and they're like, well, we don't accept cash anymore. And I said, come again. What? I said, this here banking institution where your whole job is money. You don't accept cash. Help me understand that. They were like, well, then then she gave me some trash excuse. I was like, well, what do you accept if you as a banking institution whose whole life livelihood revolves around money and cash and finances, what do you accept? They're like, like EBT? Like, right? what is it? <laughs> They're like, well, you could write a check. And I said, first of all, who writes checks anymore? And then I said, is it going to be available the same day? She's like, well, no, it takes two to three days to clear. I said, yet another unhelpful fact. Um, I said, well, do you do cashier's checks? And she said, yeah. I said, okay. So my credit union happens to be like three or four doors down so I can go and they, um, I can do a cashier's check for free. Right. So I came back and did that. And then a manager was like, well, how was your visit? And I said, actually, to be honest, it was trash. Um, I said, I think normally big banks are terrible, um, because you all have these balances that people are expected to have, or you charge them a monthly fee to hold their money. And it's not like they're gaining anything by having their money saved somewhere outside of a mattress. Not to be like super old school. Um, I said, so really, I think that Wells Fargo is trash. And I think your lending as an institution is predatory. Um, All of these things that have recently come up in the news and kind of probably you've been doing for years. And I said, so generally, I think Wells Fargo is trash and I don't enjoy coming here. Um, And I think he he got nervous. Like the, the, 
it was a white gentleman. I, I was trying to doctor it up to sound a certain way. It was a white gentleman. And he got nervous. And I, first of all, I didn't get loud because I don't get loud. I'm not a yeller. Um, uh, but I will give you a, my firm thoughts when I feel like they need to be firm. But I'm not going to get loud. I'm not waving my arms. None of these oh. other stereotypes of an angry black woman that people are expecting me to, you know, enact, invoke, whatever you want to call it. Um, and... So I said, so yeah, I said, I will be back because this is my, my mom's banking institution. So I have to find a way to do that. I said, generally, I think your bank is trash. I didn't say, I think you are trash. Um, but if you felt the way, if he felt the way about that, I can't control that. So then I walk out and then he's, he like walks me to the door. Huh. Not that I asked him to walk me to the door. I saw the door. It's there. It's fine. I came in on it. And then he watches me get into the car and he's standing at the door. You know, like if you ever leave someplace and your friend watches you, like while you walk to your car or something, like it was that, but I, he's no friend of mine. Right. Um, and I was sitting in the car ca- talking to wife and then he's sitting there looking at me, giving me this, like, you know, the smile. So, uh, hmm. I was like, and then I sat there and I'm thinking, why are you standing here looking at me when all these uh, people are still coming into the bank? It's the middle of the day. Like, why are you looking at me? And so... I then left because then I had to go back a, another time uh, to do something else for my mom's account. Um, thankfully, he wasn't there, but I sure did let wife know. I was like, I'm going to this bank. Like, if something, if you don't hear from me in the next like 15 minutes, know that this is where I am. But I'm like, I was nervous going in because I'm thinking, oh Lord, are they about to call security on me when I walk in because I said that your bank was trash? I don't want to be the next hashtag banking while black, you know out there you know right right? but that was a real thought of like because i express like my distaste for something um and that leads me into the thing that sparked this implicit bias thing and just privilege in general really pissed me off and i don't even think i tagged you in this on facebook but i don't want to i've taken up a lot of time already any thoughts initially uh i knew exactly (laughs) where that story was going as soon as you started talking about walking away and him following you because this this one size fits all uh, philosophy of judgment. It's just so mm-hmm. unnerving um, because I think about, you know, uh, where was the Wells Fargo? Uh, what yeah. part of the city? It was, uh, I don't want to say where I live. It was in the city. Oh, it was in the, okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> it's a city and mm-hmm. crazy things go on. I mean, think about Market Street downtown. People yeah. have a reason to be kind of, you know, alert, mm-hmm. but the way in which she did it was so, it, yeah, it was so Im- implicit. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there was no cause. Like, w- w- what did he think you were going to do? Like, blow up the place? Like, right? I was like, because <laughs> uh, historically, we are not the people who do those types of things. No. If, we, if we're looking time. at the facts, we don't do that. Thank because you. facts are facts. Right? <laughs> they are not feelings. They are facts. Right. So... Um, but there was an article, not an, not an article, it was a video that um, a colleague of mine posted, and, I, and I, I get the spirit where he was coming from. It says, I'll read the caption. I'll try to figure out how to link it. Cause it uh, I don't know. It says, uh, this incident led Karen Turner, Karen, C-A-R-E-N, an ethics official in New Jersey, to resign last week. She intervened in a police stop involving her daughter and flashed her credentials, um, repeatedly swore at officers and threatened to involve the mayor and chief of police. And this woman, the, you can hear, uh, I guess the dash cam was on, um, white woman, New Jersey, 
was just, and I'm not, by no means am I here caping for um, Blue Lives Matter. That is not what this is. Um, but she's talking to these officers and really talking shit. Like, sorry. Uh, I was like, I think that was the mailman, Lord Jesus. I mean, oh. <laughs> the door is closed and I'm like, Father, if this is my time. You uh, really just looks like you have like the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I didn't know what happened in that split second with you. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, and my dog over here asleep. She ain't finna get up. She's like, if we gonna go, I guess we going together. Um, yeah, she heard him like three miles away. Right? So this woman basically is just cursing and being like, I should have your badge and all this extra stuff. Like in the face of the cop on the side of the road about some shit her daughter has gotten into. And then I, was, I looked at that and I said, if this isn't the most... Well, perfect example of white privilege this woman uh in broad daylight uh is out here cussing out these police officers mm-hmm. again this is not a blue lives matter thing this is just no. like this showing that this is so real like brown folks black folks are terrified to be pulled over you know when i drive and i'm driving and there's an officer or some sort of, you know, police, law enforcement, something driving by me, I might as well pull the fuck over and just let them pass. All of a sudden, right. I got to go to the, you know, I'm going to the gas station because I, I, I got a full tank. I don't even need to go. I just right. want to be around your presence. Because <laughs> right. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh. I was, uh, yeah, it's just, the, it was like the most, the perfect example of how white privilege plays out. And people are like, well, she was just upset about her kids. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me that Karen, and I'm not lying, that's her name, is out here talking shit and being just fine, getting up in the officer's face and pointing at him and stuff, and she walked away. She's alive. She's alive. Okay, so she, she made a choice to resign from her job. Who knows if it was like an ultimatum, quit or resign. Right. Who gives a damn? But the fact that she was out here and able to do what she wanted and walked away. She drove away. This bitch drove away. She could have shuffled away for all I care. Like, (laughs) I mean, she had a ton of luxury. Yeah. And it was, um, my colleague was like, this is shocking. And I said, this is neither shocking nor surprising. Right. To be honest. Like, unfortunately, I would expect this to happen in this exact same way. So, interestingly (laughs) enough, I think probably around the same exact time, um, the footage of this arrest of Countess Luann from the Royal Housewives of New York. She uh, was on vacation back in December when they were recording the show. Now season 10 is on, they're done recording. Um, And we heard that she got arrested for being drunk and very belligerent. And so we heard things such as she kicked the cop, she uh, slid her wrists outside of the handcuffs and tried to escape the car. She did everything. And then the the dashboard footage, uh, and this was in the Hamptons of all places. The dashboard Mm -hmm. footage comes out and then she's like, I'm why would you do this to me? I'm gonna kill you. What? Yeah, I'm gonna kill you. It was, and all I could think of is the audacity the the oh i just i couldn't even like oh yeah when folks think that they 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 don't have to think they know that they're exempt from the rules that the rest like black and brown folks have to live under Mm -hmm. like we are i I don't even want to say we're in 2018 because this shit has been happening like forever but 
the 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 fact that people don't think that this is a problem and like some sorry ass i don't even know if i know who countess uh the countess is whatever she ain't even a countess no more i ain't with oh boy um what's we gonna call her uh that people just do these things and then you know they may or may not issue some sort of a fake apology about x y and z and i'm like but the fact that you felt like you could do this like probably didn't i don't care if you're intoxicated or not the fact that you that you know that you're gonna live after this is all over like this isn't the thing that's gonna be the one that takes you out and one thing i can't even still fathom as i've even analyzed this in an academic sense is that for me to react that way to see that footage i'm thinking oh that's like so unbelievable how can she act that way when for us and also on the other side it's so hardwired into our brains like i could never even gall have the gall to react that way to a cop no absolutely not hardwired into my brain it is obey 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 put your head down don't move like i have the whole instruction it's instructional manual yeah i think on the other side they they were born into a place where I mean, they're paying taxes, so they're paying for the cops. Like, they, they think they're the boss, you know? Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So, in, in terms of the, um, so that went a bit of on the privilege side. Sorry. Um, but there is, I'm not sure if you heard about this next thing, and this was certainly an example of implicit bias. Let me see if I can find it. There were two um, teenagers that went to, um, let's see, it was a university in, uh fort collins colorado i don't remember which one it was hold on maybe it was one of a colorado state university um two native american teenagers were pulled from a campus tour have you heard this oh i did hear about this um for uh, i guess they had so the backstory is these two kids from new mexico had saved up a bunch of you know some money to be able to drive to the school because this was their top choice school that they wanted to attend Mm -hmm. um and so they drove there I think they ended up joining the tour group a little bit late, um, but they had a reserved ticket or email or whatever. They joined the group late. And then um, what is described, I think, is a middle-aged, like 40-some-odd, 45 um, years old uh, white woman ended up calling, like, the police because these kids joined the group. They wouldn't tell her their names. Mind you, 45 year old white woman doesn't work for the institution these young men owe her nothing but she said hold on i screenshot a piece that pissed me all the way off um and there was no engagement from what i understood with them let's see she says uh and it came out on the report the um what is that the recording of the 911 call the the oh shit (laughs) it came out so she says they are not definitely not a part of the tour and their behavior is just really odd i've never called ever about anybody but they they joined our tour they won't give their names i'm like so you see people who don't look like you you've made some assumptions on who they are why they're in this group you think that they owe you something that you think they need to you know tell you why they're here answer your questions when you don't work for the institution you're clearly not their mama or their daddy but for you because you see something and you because you've labeled that these kids are wearing black clothes and they don't look like how you think a student at this institution or a potential student at this institution should look like that they don't belong 
Are you kidding me? And to call the police, and this is how people die. Right. Folks call the police and people die as a result of that. They know what the fuck they're doing when they call. There's no way you could not see what's happening in this country when people call the police on folks of color, black and brown folks. You already know the outcome. Right. And they don't owe you shit. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, sidebar, like, I hate how that's their first response to every little thing is, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter wh- what the spectrum is. Yeah. That is their, their dagger. It's yeah. just like, you can't solve situations on your own. Yeah. Like, come on now. Well, and why do you need to be the police person of the tour group? <laughs> right. Why aren't you first focused on what you're there for? Getting Bobby or Sally into the institution. <laughs> So um, I was super annoyed when I read that because that probably happens all the time. And then what are we telling to our, like how do we support our uh, black and brown youth Mm -hmm. who are trying to get an education, doing quote unquote, whatever the right thing is when they're running up against this stuff? I have uh, maybe a good kind of first question or scenario, Uh, because I'm trying to think of um, implicit bias in my workplace. And the first thing that came to mind is our international student numbers are spiking drastically every year. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're getting to that point where from a higher education standpoint, you know, it, it is assumed that, oh yeah, we like our international students because they pay the full bill and, you know. Oh my God. Uh, but we are now, um, the ratio of domestic to international students in each classroom is now getting to the point where it's hindering teaching and learning because the instructor does not have all the skills to really match that dynamic. And then once your students, and the goal is to have domestic students and international students learn from each other, but when that's offset, then you're not having a productive class. Yeah. So we have all these barriers um, that we're working through, but Every time someone just says international student, I feel like it sets a laundry list of things in their head of, oh, well, no, we got to treat them this way and then treat them that way. And when I think about why or how, um, and some of these attributes are negative, you know, most of our students are Chinese. Mm -hmm. Um, I think um, what doesn't help in their way is, first of all, our systems automatically treat them different. Financial aid is different. Um, how they register for classes is different. Yeah. And so then it trickles down to once they're finally a student at CCA and still navigating the systems different than domestic, then there's the cultural implicit bias that happens where, um, you know, I I get questions from teachers all the time about this student is um, behaving in some odd manner. um, And maybe they did (laughs) something as simple as like put, like maybe they don't look them in the eyes. Yeah. Right? Or uh, I, I, it could be a, a whole slew of things, but they take little pieces of a behavior and just because it makes them slightly uncomfortable, they put this overarching label on them. Yeah. You said something that's really crucial. I think that, and I hear this a lot, people be confusing what is uncomfortable or discomfort with unsafe. 
And Thank I you. think that so many people are like, well, I just don't feel, I feel unsafe. And I'm like, well, first of all, if you truly feel unsafe, call the police because that is not me. And then be like, oh, well, what I actually meant. Well, then I, I'm going to need you to use your words and say what you actually mean. Because when you put, when you say unsafe, and then you start to talk to all of your colleagues about like the unsafe environment that you're in mm -hmm. and that the university or whoever is not protecting you. And what about your rights? And you haven't even talked to the individual student. Right. You're too quote unquote scared to talk to the individual student. It's your classroom. So that's yeah. your jurisdiction. Don't be, <laughs> you know, escalating this already when you can't even explain to me what, what makes you feel unsafe about this? Yeah. Well, they were just, um, well, he did, like, they can't even put into words. Yeah. That's so funny. I ran into an incident. Um, it wasn't an international student. It was another student of color. Again, in my 10 years of experience, because <laughs> um, there's an asshole who'll be like, you talking about me. Um, <laughs> where there was a, there was an incident that happened nationally that, uh, and in this creative writing class, so let me, I'm going to emphasize creative writing class. Oh, oh I know this story. Mm -hmm. I do know this story. Where the student wrote something, that they were supposed to write, I think, something maybe around, like, uh, early in, in the semester, like, uh, around, like, what's impacting them right now. So the student wrote a vivid essay around this, uh, uh, that in, it was in connection to this national incident that happened. Mm -hmm. So now this instructor uh, sending emails, being like, I'm afraid that this person is going to, it was around a school shooting incident. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I'm afraid they're going to, they haven't come back to class and I think they're going to come back and shoot the school. Up. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I said, well, let me read this first. Let's rewind that back. Yeah. And I was like, well, did, did you talk to the student? Have they said anything? Well, no, I just, I'm scared now. Of course, it's a young man of color. Um, well written like this shit was nicely written it was told a very clear story in like three pages um and i said well well what have you seen like what has this other been right the other writing has been fine it's just this really made me think that he was going to come here and shoot up the school so now like all of these other people are engaged with what literally ends up being a non-issue and i'll tell you about the the, the fact that it is a non-fucking issue like the police are engaged, counseling and psych services, oh. there's threat assessments yeah. happening. We're doing information on the background to see if the student has any access to weapons or any registered weapons, mm -hmm. going through all of this. And meanwhile, literally the, the instructor won't talk to the student. <laughs> they won't talk to the student because legally, like our counseling and psych, any counseling and psych services person or therapist, they can't go out looking. You're not going out to look for clients. Right. You can't be like, I heard X, Y, and Z, now come in. Um, so we try to work off a, like a warm handoff is what we call it. And we mm -hmm. coach the instructor or staff member through like what a warm handoff could look like. So she don't want to do that because that's too hard. I said, well, you don't have to sit in the room alone with the student. Invite like your department chair. Well, I'm just really afraid. You know what? Fine. I will do it. I am familiar with what it feels like to be a person of color in this country. I didn't say that because I didn't, the timing wasn't right, but I sure didn't <laughs> fucking want to say it. Oh, I love like, your Black me will do it, okay? But the noting the race of this person you're talking about is really important because um, yeah. it does add an interesting wrench in this analysis. Yeah. Of the, the student or the faculty? Uh, the faculty being yeah. a person of color. No, faculty, a white woman. Oh. Who did you say white was a... 
the student. The student. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, faculty member is a white woman. Um, so I'll just leave it with that. And so I'm like, fine, I'll meet with the student. When I tell you I had the most pleasant conversation with this student mm-hmm. who was like, I didn't even know. Like, I didn't know that's like that there was any concern around that. Like, I got a good grade on the, the essay. <laughs> so like, I just good. moved on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there, you know, I said the instructor, I think, got nervous because you also missed some class or like, yeah, I just didn't want to go to class. And I said, fair. Lots of times people don't want to go to class, so they don't go. It doesn't mean anything. But right. the fact that I had to sit down and because I had my part of my role is to close the loop on some of these situations. Mm-hmm. I just sit down and ask the student like so that I can, you know, minimize the concern and actually document um, like, do you have plans to shoot up the school? do you have access to weapons that would allow you to do that? Mm-hmm. And I felt so silly and I wanted to apologize to the student. I mean, it mm-hmm. ended up being a really good conversation afterward. Cause we talked about kind of the, like the ways that folks of color are perceived sometimes in the classroom. Um, and not that he needed to do anything to change his behavior, but right now that's a reality of things that are happening. And mm-hmm. it felt so like this person didn't even know this student like didn't even want to take the time to talk to the student. It was really disheartening like that this is another quote unquote educator. Right. Like people who are instilling things into students and you don't even want to talk to them. And it it seems that those folks, those instructors specifically are choosing, there's a human element, right? In the Mm -hmm. the classroom environment. And it's like, they're choosing who to provide that kind of mentoring and support and who not to, because you can't just now all of a sudden say like, I want to step back and all that, all that work that y'all did kind of for nothing. But at the same time, I want to say you were preventative, not reactive, which was great. But but yeah, all that work for a white woman and her privilege and her discomfort. Yeah, with all this fear and anxiety that, like, I swear it was emails like two and three times a week. And I'm like, look, sis, there's one of me with like these, you know, 20, 30,000 students. You could certainly help yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you want me to get worked up over really what's a non issue? Like, it was a non, there were literally no signs, like, of things we look for in terms of students of concern. Like, no sign. There was none of that. There was zero. But you, for, like, so you could sleep and da 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 da. Girl, mm. if you don't get out of my face, shit. But one thing <laughs> he got really turned for that. Like oh. one of the things that I'm realizing that I've realized over the last few years is that when we talk about educators, um, and probably even people in the workplace, just generally not even in education, is we don't know how to talk to each other. We are so mm. concerned about like that somebody like really what are the chances somebody's just gonna Come up and slap you in the face. Come up and shoot you in the forehead. Like, really, like, what is the likelihood of that? Very small. I mean, maybe more so now, given the current uh, administration in the White House. But it's very, very small. But the fact that people aren't, like, that when they're supposed to be interacting with groups, and I'll I'll jump back to the educator thing, like, there seems to be this element of missing of, like, how to manage a classroom and how to actually talk to students. Like, yes, you may be a subject matter expert or really proficient in your, whatever you're teaching, but if you can't engage with the human being, mm-hmm. like, there's a crucial piece of that's missing. Like, oh. They're just not coming to get the, like, this stuff from the book. Mm-hmm. This is a learning experience. And, like, how do you, like, 
engage with the material and make it applicable, you know? But people are so, like, they don't know, like, I didn't know I could say that to a student. I didn't know I, I had somebody say, I didn't know I could set up a boundary with a student. Are you kidding me? What, what are, they're not eggs. They're not going to break. <laughs> like, like, why are you so, like, tiptoeing around? Yeah. Makes no sense. It's like the, the permission to do. I was like, girl, if I looked at a, a faculty member like <laughs> maybe a month ago, I was like, girl, because we were having a good conversation. I said, you need to set up a boundary. You want to talk through, like, write down what this boundary is, and then hold the student to it. That, that's what you can. You can do that because you're you a grown up. <laughs> you can do that. You probably do it in your personal life. If not, this is this might right. be a cue for your personal life. Get right. some boundaries. <laughs> uh, since when do students like boss us around like this you know um or like oh create my this, like tiptoeing culture we talk about this all the time um and you know we're we're trying to get to the right staffing structure to finally give some more support in the classroom but what's funny is that every time uh you know when a student breaks a policy we have to decide does this fall within academic affairs or does mm -hmm. it fall in student affairs like i'm very close with our student affairs partners and they get so many um, letters or uh, incident reports from faculty. And they, time and time again, we tell them, this is a classroom management issue. There's actually nothing wrong with the student. Yeah. Um, so go back. This is how you have to have a conversation. It's, it's, it's so bizarre. These grown-ass people don't know how to talk to kids. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, then I wonder, I'm like, do you have kids of your own? And do you let them run all over you like this? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, like, are you letting people in just generally in your life run all over you? Oh. That, that might be something else to think about. So, but really, like, and then I, I was talking to one faculty member, and they were like, well, they don't teach us, like, when we're going through, like, our PhD or our EDD programs, they don't teach us how to manage a classroom. They don't really teach us how to teach. And I said, well, that's crucial. Mm -hmm. Like, y'all need that at the beginning of your program and at the end, especially if you're going to go out and be, like, if you want to be a faculty member. Mm -hmm. Like, you, those are some very crucial skills. And they're not hard skills. They're like, how do you talk to a student about, like, something, a behavior that they exhibit in class that falls out of your expectations? Do you have expectations of your students that you communicate in your syllabus? Yeah, see, that's, that's the huge difference between K-12 education and higher education because K-12 teachers, they get all that training on how to manage a classroom. But then you get to academia, and it's just about... I'm an expert. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Just absorb, <laughs> absorb my knowledge. <laughs> Write it down. Um, so I'm curious to know if you had, because um, the implicit bias example that I thought of was just with students, but is there something that's happening um, between employees that you've seen? Um, nothing's coming to mind right now for me because um, which is a good thing. Maybe I'm yeah. not experiencing it, or maybe I am, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just getting, you know, dodging the bullets. Like, I only have so much time. <laughs> um, I think I see it mostly with our, for, I haven't seen it, it, well, I'm pretty sure I've seen it, but maybe not be willing to acknowledge it. I have to deep dive into my own brain on that, but I see it a lot with our students, um, and some of it's around the, the lack of ability to manage a classroom, so then people, like, place these labels and expectations on students, mm -hmm. or one that I had, you know, I get a lot of, just based on the work that I do is like conduct and then also with student support, um, people who are, they will very quickly label students that they have not engaged with as crazy or angry. Mm. Um, and, and then it's, it's almost always our students of color. 
Um, and then they want to put like uh, faculty or staff of color in front of that person to talk to them. Oh, right. It's like, oh, I, I think you two will understand each other. Why don't, why, why yeah. Don't so it's like, just because like skin folk and kin folk, like don't like oh, put God. this in front of me. I, I get a lot of that. Like, That's well, maybe classic. we can have this person talk to him. And I'm like, well, are they their instructor? Because if not, you're assuming that they, because they look alike, that they are going to have something in common and that they're going to get each other. And this other person is going to be able to get them to stop being angry. Mm. Who said they were angry? Maybe they just don't like you or this class. You ever thought perhaps they have other things going on outside of this? But there's a lot of labeling. And I just, I've been, as of, I say recently, become really like, I don't want to say, I don't know if it's disenchanted or disgusted at the amount of labeling and like bias we have like and I'll, I'll use the royal we in education around things that are unfamiliar mm-hmm. so but i can't think of one for myself i'm sure that people put that on me as like when i use my voice whether or not they know me or how i write my emails um because i try to be clear and to the point and oftentimes i end up being directive I'm like i will say i advise like that you not do this right and these are the ramifications for that um so I'm, I imagine that I get some of that because a lot of my stuff is either over the phone or um, via email. So I'm, I probably get the like, she's probably a bitch, but. <laughs> um, I just thought of a random, like, I don't know the answer to it. I'm going to answer it as I talk okay. about it. But do you ever think implicit bias can, can be initially positive but then probably be at the detriment of the person anyway? Yes. And I'm trying to- I, I, I answered that real quick. I read yeah. an article on that a while ago from like NPR around like positive stereotypes, but mm-hmm. really they're not, they tend to usually not be positive when you break it down. Right, because I'm thinking about this, um, I, guess, I guess I am thinking about implicit bias, no, um, I just <laughs> put that label. I, it came to mind because I think this, uh, in senior leadership, so if you're in kind of that position of the the school or your company, I think it can start manifesting itself. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, you know, one of my goals this year was to have a better manage of my workflow. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm noticing that my... Uh, once you go up in leadership, it's still administration, but you are focusing more on the strategic building mm-hmm. relationships, personnel. Like, it's a lot of tracking relationships. Yeah. Um, but I still have to do the administrative stuff. And so it's interesting to see how um, the my attention, my acuity to administrative skills um, is has been great in the past. And that's been a label that has been <laughs> put on to me. And... We're not talking about race, gender, or any of the uh, classifications. I'm just talking about a job skill. Yeah. Um, where, okay, Paul, he answers emails within, you know, 12 hours. He does this on time. He does this. And then as my job started changing, those yeah. things started not <laughs> happening anymore as I focused on, well, guess what? I'm good at really following up. I'm really yeah. good at closing the loop on this. But no, those, like, you know, receipts and those calendar invitations or whatever it is, um, is, is gonna, you know, slip on the wayside, but then I, it turns back to me as being a negative. Yeah. Well, cause I think there isn't room for people to change in that. 
like, or to adjust to a new environment. So just using the example that you mentioned about, like, when you first started, like, you were, like, all over, like, captain of follow-up and all this other stuff. But, like, your role has changed. Who you are as a professional has adjusted. And so you can't always, like, you move away from being able to do some of those day-to-day things that you were, you, before you had capacity for it. But I don't think, like, people aren't always able to make that connection that you're going to grow in a different way. And that means how you respond to things and how you work are going to change. They just think like, oh, he's not good anymore because he doesn't do those things that he did in year one as opposed to year three or four. Because you don't have to do those things in year one because you've built up credibility and maybe that's somebody else's assignment right now, but they can't let go of you in that role. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. So thank you for that. I need to hear that as I'm building up some conversations with folks next week. Um, I know that is so true. And where now I have to focus on, do I want to die on that hill? Do I want to spend so much time and energy justifying? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like that's what I have to do whenever there's an implicit bias in any aspect, when you are fortunate to catch it right when it's happening, Mm -hmm. then there's all this kind of... um, rolling back and trying to justify and that that can be exhausting and sometimes make the person look more guilty yeah <laughs> right always justifying um there was so this npr article that i found like in february i've just kept it because it it like slapped me in the face um and, and i may have mentioned it on the show strong black women uh smart asian man the downside to positive stereotypes um oh this will tie in well with my boss at the end <laughs> oh, of the episode oh hey um let's see well one of the questions is why wouldn't you want people to think you're good at math so this is like the smart asian person or something that's the kind of the guys under this comment it says here's why once you buy that there's a connection between race and ability it's a slippery slope to the bad stuff black people are lazy jewish people are cheap are the two examples Mm -hmm. believing any sort of stereotype is based in the deeper belief that we can know things about people based on what we know about their group. So it really turns into this group thing. Like you may not know me, but you're like, oh, she's black, so she must be able to dance. First of all, I can dance. Um, But (laughs) not all black people dance, you know what I mean? But I think part of this article was so good because I was like, true, because there are some, like if the stereotype is Asian people are all smart, which in theory sounds great, but what if you're not smart and you're an Asian person? Right. You know, what if you're not smart in all areas? And no, you point, uh, we should have mentioned this at the very beginning when we were trying to dissect the definition, but that's a huge aspect of implicit biases that, uh, like stereotypes, I think stereotypes lead to implicit bias. It's on a group of people. Mm -hmm. So um, there's definitely, even within that race or that group of people, there's an in-group and an (laughs) out-group. Yeah. Um, That's being coerced. Right, because um, there's already an out group that is causing the um, the stereotypes to manifest itself in some way. But mm-hmm. then within the community, as you mentioned, there are folks who are like, "I'm not smart." <laughs> like, You're right. I, I can't. I can't hold a tune. So they they play this really well in Fresh Off the Boat, which I still watch. It's an it's awesome um, show on ABC. But the two younger brothers are the more kind of academic. Um, uh, acu- uh, yeah, they have more of the academic acu- acuity. And then the older brother, he's like lazy. He likes hip hop music. He's, <laughs> you know, he's, he's just trying to find his life. 
Um, so, and they play that dynamic really well um, over the course of four seasons. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that that's that's a positive stereotype can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm trying to think of there's been an instance where it's been dangerous for me. I don't know. Dangerous is a, a strong word. Yeah. I, if, yeah, it could range. Because, um, like, I'm thinking about, okay, well, people always assume I'm good at dancing. <laughs> when is that going to be dangerous? But <laughs> <laughs> Because I am, thank you. Uh, I don't have my tap shoes on. I can't do this. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm, that's it's kind of it's probably really easy, and I'm just making it harder than what it is. Um, oh, this is gonna sound vain, and here goes. Um, so <coughs> I bear, we don't even talk about like the Kardashians at all, but and it's gonna be real random. So yeah, you know how the I didn't mention her. <laughs> I know, literally, I don't even I don't watch the show. Okay. Um, but. You know how all of them try to get, I think with exception for Courtney, they try to get like big lips and a big butt, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a black man. Right, true. Well, I don't want to do that because that's not my ministry. Um, but like, so I am a person who has a big butt, right? In so much of society, people are like trying to get big butts. So positive. I should be happy to have a big butt. Like what, like lucky for me, I don't have to work for it. I don't have to work out for it. I'm not getting anything plumped into there. And I'm like, you know how hard this is. Again, this is really vain. I have a big butt. If you've ever met me in person, I've got a butt. Okay. Really? Um, So that's not, and I've had it like damn near my whole life. But that is not a positive to me. Like I don't feel positively about that. It is really hard to find pants like to find clothes that fit my waist. Um, Cause I also have thighs um, and I'm a runner too. So they're not like sloppy jiggly thighs, if that makes sense. Not that that's a bad thing. They're just not because yeah. my strength has to be in my legs so that I can run. Um, but it's hard. Like it is really like if I find a pair of pants that fit, I'm buying every color and I'm probably buying two. Um, so I can wear them like dress pants because I wear men's clothes. Cause I am, um, masculine presenting by choice. Um, I have like Old Navy has shout out to Old Navy. Go ahead and throw me some of these if you want to check my account. Um, they have a pair of like men's. Uh, they're like dress khakis, but they're a slim cut um, because I can like my. Even though I have a big butt and like thick uh, thighs, the slim cut works for my waist. Yeah. Um, I have like four pairs of those because that's like the one pair of like dressier khaki pants that I can wear with work. And I, you know, I vary up the shirts, whatever, but it's hard out here. If you got a big butt and you're trying to like not have like a big gap behind. Cause I like, I have to wear a belt literally with everything unless I'm wearing sweats or joggers. Mm -hmm. And even then like joggers, (laughs) shut up. I can't think of that word the same way anymore. Okay. Shout out to the read. Um, (laughs) But you've seen, we clearly, we know each other in person. um, Shopping before. Yeah. I have a butt. You've seen my butt. Like Uh I don't even fucking try on pants. I try not to look at it all the time, but it's there. You're welcome. (laughs) Or ew. Um, But like things like that, like people are like, oh, if you've got body and da da da, like you have this and small waist. And I'm like, no, like. 
And it all, it mm. goes back to the same rhetoric. We say it a lot in the Black community is that you get to take the parts of what is a, an oppression for us. You get to take the parts that you like and you yeah. get to walk this earth, walk every day, living about your life. And you don't have to think about all these new nuances when it comes yeah. to clothing or being stopped by the police. You don't have yeah. to think about that. No, you don't. And you, like you said, you just move about the world and like, this doesn't happen until you see it. And then you're shocked. Like you're surprised. And the rest of us are like, it was, it was a matter of time until the next one. So. Right. Ugh. Ugh, the nerve. That felt overly vulnerable to talk about my butt on the air. It is mine. I cannot get rid of it. Exactly. You're growing. You're, you're sharing with the people. I was like, I don't want to grow that area. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. Um, so I think what's a very difficult conversation to always have with <laughs> social justice topics is more the how do we take it apart? Uh, maybe yeah. if we're the if we're the victim of the implicit bias, or maybe we're the bystander. Yeah. Um, watching someone else go through it. Um, maybe we can share uh, a couple, one or two examples of how we did kind of stop something in, from happening because sometimes yeah. implicit bias is just culturally ingrained. So it's not like just one little moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let, let's just talk about that. Yeah. I, um, way to do the subtle wrap up. I see you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, um, I think number one, it's exhausting to, uh, uh try to think of how to interrupt this on a regular basis because this is could literally be someone's job all day um so i will try to use an example that i have used before um so i you and i both sit in positions of leadership or power if you want to say um where we work so positions mm-hmm. of leadership and i i have become more comfortable and more aware of how important it is for me to say the things that i am thinking in my head that are going to be impactful hopefully for other people because i know I may not talk a lot, but I know when I do that, people listen. Um, so, mm-hmm. for example, there was, uh, in the last 10 years or so, <laughs> there was an incident where there was a, the student was, uh, a faculty member called the student angry in an email. And uh, then this, they tried to, like, push other black people in front of the student. I was like, I can't get through to them without being like, y'all do it. It was like, y'all do oh, it. Oh, okay. So I respond, and this was an email. So I'd never met these people because, again, a lot of my stuff is consult via email because I can't be everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. So I just responded back. I said, we as a collective should be really mindful of how we label a student. Um, so I'm not sure that, you know, putting this label, especially in writing, mm-hmm. but also verbally of, of angry is helpful for anyone involved. I said, additionally, I think while you may want to have the student exposed or you think they need advice, I would encourage us to give like whatever the situation is a little bit of space so that people can work on their own healing and then revisit like, how do we want to go about supporting this person? Cause it's really about support. So trying to think, have people think less about the, in the moment, this is what's hot for me right now, but take a step back. There's nothing wrong with giving a little pause and think, and I have in that specific incident, um, I learned from a, a different person that was involved in it. They're like, that person really took to heart what you said and somebody needed to say it. And mind you, I wasn't the highest person on that email chain. Right. Yeah. I I was literally not the highest person on that email chain, but I felt like it was still important to say 
So sometimes it's, it's being brave enough to say something, even if you don't know how it's going to be received. And even if you don't know exactly how to put it together. Right. Um, when we say those things, I think it humanizes it because the person on the receiving end of that implicit bias, whoever they are, likely may not know that that's what's going on or what's going on behind the scenes. Right. And that's so, a learning moment for them, for them. That's yeah. how we equip our youth with the, the weapons that they need, the defense shields to survive this really troublesome world. Yeah. So, so I think using our, our literal voice to interrupt whatever that is, and you may not feel like you can do it like in that moment real time, because that's tough. It's always, it's usually always in hindsight, you know? Yeah. But I think um, even in this situation, hindsight is still helpful. Yep. Hindsight is foresight. Yeah. Oh, they say. okay. <laughs> um, I, while you were um, talking about that, I thought of, uh, I, I don't really uh, deal with a lot of student situations. Um, I, I am pretty distant from them, but I do a lot of HR <laughs> kind of personnel, mm -hmm. faculty and staff discourse or faculty and faculty discourse. Uh, and I just thought of um, this scenario where I think this, it's gender-based, okay. and I think, uh, without getting so specific, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I try, uh, my staff is pretty, well, no, it's not really balanced anymore between women and men or perceived <laughs> gender. Mm -hmm. um, it is weighing more on the, the female side, and that, that's pretty typical for education jobs. Mm -hmm. And um, I have... Um, also a diverse mix of nationalities on my um, staff as well. So we have some international folks on staff. So almost similar to the student observation, I think this faculty member interacting with a staff member, um, one, there's history. Um, there is a way that he communicates to men that he does not communicate with women, it, 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 the mm -hmm. attitude, the behaviors, everything changes. Um, and because this is just a cultural switch, there's no email, there's no, there's no documentation to actually catch the person in terms of their actions and, you know, have a learning moment with them. It's really coming from this kind of, I feel above you type mm -hmm. attitude. Oh my God. Yes. So before this person even walks through the door on the first day, I hire a female, and because I've hired other folks for this department, already I can see the gears turning. He's just switching over his demeanor, his attitude, and his approach as soon as he knows it's a woman in the job versus a man. Because I've seen it. He's had two men in the job, and I think three females since then. And yeah, it, it's just really upsetting um, and trying to work with my staff member on just kind of every week, there's always something new that kind of bubbles up and it's, they're spending way too much time on figuring out what they're trying to communicate versus getting the job done. That's how, that's uh, how that is. Yeah, well, and that's the stuff that beats you down. Mm -hmm. Doing all this mental gymnastics that are not your job just to be able to show up at your job. Exactly. <sighs> so um, I think that's a, well, it's not, it's not entirely implicit bias. I think a little, I went a little bit too much in the route of um, 
just biases, right? Because yeah. I think implicit bias, if, and catch me if I'm wrong, is coming more from a direction of, like, in that moment, something happened, and you reacted a certain way, like, Oh, no, I see it as the kind of, like, you don't know that person. So I think, I, I don't know that there's a, a clear definition that I am committed to. Okay. I think it'd be, it can be both of those pieces. But even with what you just said, before the person even started, so he's already placing, like, oh, I'm, I'm about to get, like, a woman. That, not that he's saying this stuff out loud, but mm-hmm. if you're saying there's these automatic changes and he hasn't even met the person, I think that is that's probably the most salient thing that I heard you say that to me, I was like, yep, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Cause they're putting this label. Uh-huh. They've got a bias on somebody they haven't even met. They just know that it's a female. That's it. That's all they know. And so they've, their whole mental has shifted in terms of how they're going to interact. Uh-huh. And then when you're there and you see that play out and see how different that is when a man is in that position, as opposed to a woman's in that position. Right. Yeah, I think that that's right it. Okay. Yeah, and it's just amazing how much, even in uh, conference-style conversations, he kind of code switches. So talks to a man, it's, you know, with confidence and, like, respect, and I, I just get a different tone in his voice. And then when it switches over, and it depends on where the woman is in the organization, mm-hmm. um, but I've seen just even how he responds to feedback you know or mm. it is just uh it's it's problematic yeah. I've actually talked to one of my colleagues about like they've been frustrated with what I have been noticing in the last uh few months few years whatever um I was like is there something that we can do for the campus around this because I don't I think we assume that you know we're in the bay area we're all social justice and mm. we're not no. So how do we begin to have some of these conversations with people to get them to start to think about this, you know, like in real time and like, mm-hmm. how do we orchestrate a space that people feel brave enough to show up to and contribute to the conversation and maybe start to identify some of their own shit that they're bringing to the table, you know? I will say to everyone listening that, um, please do not wait till a national or international incident happens to start the conversation. Cause then it just feels like it's forced. You don't, you don't get any kind of genuine feedback or responses in the conversations. And then you're targeting the people that are personally linked (laughs) to that, that incident. So start it now. I mean, yes, things are going on in the media, but when, when, you know, if you're the HR department and you're saying everyone's going to have diversity and sensitivity training, uh, yeah, don't mandate it after like the Starbucks incident, you know? Yeah, right. Just wait. (laughs) (laughs) You can see our face. I'm like, okay. Uh, Just wait a little bit and just make it part of the culture. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's a a good uh, piece of feedback is don't think of it so much as a systemic solution it's a cultural solution so you even want to get your folks in the habit of having these conversations it's not a one-time fix-all yeah well an an easy way to do that is like to incorporate these kind of conversations in your like you've got to have some sort of i'm assuming lots of people have a weekly or bi-weekly or bi-monthly meeting with their team start to talk about some of these topics it doesn't have to like you said it it, ideally it shouldn't revolve right around like when something happens but mm-hmm. if we're talking about it, make it in a regular part of our, our dialogue. So write it on your agenda. 
Right. Like this week we're going to talk about this. I try to do this with my staff. Sometimes it doesn't always work, but like either if there's a podcast out there that I know about that shout out to HBIC. Um, or if there's like a Ted talk or something that people can watch and like, cause Ted talks on for the most part, aren't that long. Like, watch this and we're going to talk about it so that we can continue to learn and grow. So we're not just going through like discussion items, miscellaneous, okay, we're done. Thanks. But like, Uh, yes. Thank you for reminding me of that. I was so good at that at the beginning of um, my uh, job. You know, I was very ambitious, of course, excuse me. And, uh, but that was such a game changer for uh, my organization in general, because all the other meetings that I go to that my staff don't go to, mm-hmm. it is just the bullet points. And I think we need to step back and talk about issues in education or talk about some really cool things that could impact our jobs. We don't mm-hmm. make any, not to put my school under the bus, but we don't, we don't make time for that. And that's how, that's how you can make a cultural shift. Yeah. Like well, that. you know, I was thinking about this with my staff. Yes. Yeah, so the people who report to us, yes, because we have control over how that agenda looks. But I'm thinking about some of the tables that I sit at with like other leadership folks, other directors, um, deans, et cetera. We like, those are the people who don't show up to like the professional development opportunities that we have to talk mm-hmm. about this kind of stuff. So I might like start to ask or like drop it in the nugget of my supervisor and be like, can we spend like time during, you know, one or two of our meetings in the month to start to talk about some of these things that, because literally none of these people are showing up because I'm the chair of the professional development committee. None <laughs> of these people are showing up to these conversations. Mm-hmm. So where are they getting it from? Cause we're not giving it to them. And I'm sitting at the, in the rooms at the meetings and we're not getting it. So. Well, then that's when you have to get it on your own, you know, like yeah. uh, when I think back to that example of, classroom management and instructor not uh, a PhD instructor not having those skills well I'm hoping the school can give it for you give it to you but I think as professionals we go out and seek it somewhere else if that's yeah. something we're str- truly struggling with yeah so um okay I really liked that and I think you know this the solutions they keep they keep molding over time yeah and they're very also specific to your work setting or even your social setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have any um, other ideas, please share them with us because we definitely want to grow and take them back to the workplace um, or our personal lives. Um, but yeah, it's, it's time to be very creative. Like we are, we're in a pressure cooker right now yeah. in this society and we can't just use the same tricks. Yeah. Tricks. The tricks are for kids. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we are going to take a break. All right, so we are um, uh, here for Ask a Boss. Remember, if you have any questions for us, please send us your questions to headbosspodcast at gmail.com. And guess what, Shamina? What's up? We have a letter. Yay! Yay. All right, so um, I'm reading this through kind of for the first time, so uh, apologize for any fumbling. So this letter is from Luis. Luis. 
says, hi, Paul and Shanina. My name is Luis, and I'm a 32-year-old professional of Latinx descent at a business firm, but I focus on marketing for the company. In my eight years of professional experience thus far, I've been a high performer and even made my way through some promotions. However, these past couple of months have taken a turn for me in my personal life to the point where it's imp um, impeding my per performance and altering my relationships with my colleagues. Fortunately, I've had some initial conversations with those around me in order to make them feel supported in their roles, but these conversations have gotten to the point where my supervisor will be involved. I believe this impending meeting is coming from a source of support and an action plan will be provided, but I'm already on the defensive. And as a person of color, I struggle in what, uh, I struggle in deciding what is too much defense and justification for my actions and what's just enough. I've provided four strong years of service to my company and now my, my mistakes are very noticeable. How should I approach these next few weeks of the quarter? Ooh, okay. There's a lot in that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was about to be real sick and be like, when you start going to the meeting, you can thank them in advance <laughs> for their support. <laughs> so I'm the thank you because if they're if they were gonna come in and be bitchy, you've already thanked them. Thank um, you for your services. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. Right. You know, uh, I mean, obviously, I would thank them for the time to meeting, and you know, you hope to get you know find mm -hmm. some areas of support as you you know engage in this conversation. Um, yeah, I, I do like before you get into the, probably the next part, I do want to acknowledge what's probably really difficult for a lot of people is to just acknowledge that they, they're going through something. Mm -hmm. and to, to admit that in the workplace, that's not really easy. No, uh, it's not at all. Especially since we've talked about, and I think at the very beginning of our podcast years, about this, everyone's a robot and you got to work, work, work and not, you know, infuse any kind of, personal life into the into your work situation sometimes it's going to be um it's um it's an osmosis effect it's one affects the other yeah so. <coughs> i co-sign on that um and even having said that and it is a challenge um i think uh luis i think that rather than trying to like doctor up and like trans like Put the conversation in a box and say this is how exactly i'm going to say it i think this is one of those times where it's going to be it's going to probably feel uncomfortable but also feel authentic like you're not you don't have to craft the story mm -hmm. to come in and share that you're struggling um and to be honest i've been on this crazy kick um and this is going to show up in my uh head boss uh portion later um of transparency and compassion um, and I think we have to have that with ourselves um, as much as we can have that with other people when we're having challenging conversations or things that might feel uncomfortable is to make sure that we are with ourselves, kind of get an understanding of where we are and remember to be compassionate with ourselves. And I think that transparency, it may benefit you more than you realize um, in that conversation. So as you're talking to your supervisor, you, Louis, Louis, you're listening right now, so <laughs> you're welcome. I think as you're talking to your supervisor, remember that you don't have to rush through the conversation. If you feel yourself getting defensive, it's okay to acknowledge that and take a pause. Um, if you need to breathe, 
if you need to take a moment and step away from that conversation for just maybe a minute or two and say, you know what, I feel, I feel like I'm getting defensive and I want to be able to show up for this conversation. Mm-hmm. So can we maybe take a two or three minute pause? I mean, I'll, I'll take a step out, get some quick air and then come back and re-engage. Mm-hmm. I think that is 1000% okay. And I would actually encourage people to do that if they feel like they are getting to the point where they're just going to start spouting off stuff. Ask for the things that you need. Um, more than likely, I can't think of a supervisor who will be like, no, we're not taking a break. We're going to power through this shit. Because um, that will tell you enough about what you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think take your time. I don't have exact words to say, but if, you, if you're feeling those things, if you're feeling yourself getting worked up, your heart is racing, pause. I have done this before in meetings. I've acknowledged it and said, you know what? I feel like I'm getting defensive and it's, it's probably not going to be helpful. So let me stop and think. Mm-hmm. And I've done little, that's, that's probably almost verbatim what I've done in a meeting before when I felt like I was being backed against the wall um, because it was like one thing after another. Right. And yeah, did it feel uncomfortable as hell? Absolutely. It was gross. I don't ever want to feel that again, but I probably will because I'm a human. Um, but reminding myself that I don't have to have all the answers to something all in one sitting. Um, yeah. Sometimes those conversations are going to take place over a series of conversations because you also like there's a mental and emotional energy that comes with um being vulnerable and part of this is going to be vulnerable for you Luis it just is and if that's a place of discomfort um take it slow but it sounds like there's some things that you need there's some things that you're going to want to like your gut is going to want to respond to immediately and it's okay if you don't do that right in that moment we don't have to have all the answers right when somebody's looking for them. Um, yeah, I, that was beautifully said. I really want to bring out the kind of the slowing down because you're not going to have all the answers. And, you know, I don't know what this personal situation you're going through. I don't know if it's like short term, long term or whatnot. But regardless, it's probably going to take several meetings and mm-hmm. um you know, if it's anything like where I work, relationships with people, those can be very sensitive. And sometimes they need mending and mm-hmm. eating and nurturing. Because when, yeah. if you're playing a critical role in the organization and something's going on, people need to be aware so they can understand how to adjust their workflows or... Um, or support you. Or support, right. As the employee or as the human being in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Because people don't know often how to support us if they don't know that we need support. We assume that people are like in tune with like our rhythm and whatnot. But I think even at work, if I'm going through something, like I I work in an office with one other person and then I have another employee that's down the hall. But if something is going on, my employee that works closely, like in proximity to me, she's like, are you okay? Like something seems off. And then why I may not divulge like everything, um, I say, you know what? thank you for saying that because I, I am feeling a kind of way about something, but I needed somebody from the outside to acknowledge that. And then she's like, well, what can I do to help? Um, yeah. But if people don't know that you need help or that you're struggling, then they don't know how to help. They're just like, you're a slacker. Cause that's usually how it comes off. If you don't say anything, people are like you're a slacker, you're not doing the work. Right. So there's that. And I, vulnerability. I, I think this would be a great next episode. I think it might be an actual episode of asking for help, 
Mm-hmm. But um, I can imagine, Luis, that uh, I don't, you know, it, it sounds like you're, you know, doing pretty well at this place. And, you know, I, I think when you get to a certain level of leadership, there's this fear of asking for help because you're supposed to be the, you know, the person that's supporting yeah. the team. And yep. um, there's this pers- um, uh, misconstrued perception that you don't need any help when you're at the top, if you want to call it that. But um, I think that's where a lot of organizations could possibly fall is if they don't continue to add that support, whatever, however it may look like, even to like the president of the school, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it, or president, you know, for where I work, so. I think that we, it's so, there's such a, um, a, a taboo about asking for help when really none of us do any of our jobs by ourselves. Like we literally don't do the whole job by ourselves. We are a piece of the job, but we don't do the whole thing by ourselves. Right. So some of it is getting like, you have to start to get out of your own way and ask for the things that you need and communicate. Like a lot of the, this, so much of what we talk about on the show, this episode otherwise is about communicating mm-hmm. and like talking to people. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. It seems to be the, <laughs> the thread throughout this episode. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, talking to people and um, showing up as human beings. Like we're not just the bots. Although sometimes we kind of operate in the, I'm just a robot. I go and do this. And then they give me this in exchange for that. Um, but yeah, I say talk, slow down. You're not on anybody's time frame unless you're about to be like, unless you're on a performance improvement plan, which is a different thing. Um, but slow down, give yourself a little bit of compassion, but also tap into like seeing like, what are my real issues? And am I, am I, am I getting help for the things that whatever it looks like in my personal life, am I getting help for that? Or am I just letting that sit and fester? Right. So there's some work on both ends, Luis. I think that is helpful, but if you have a, a good relationship with your uh, supervisor, et cetera, like, I don't want to say lean into that because I hate when people say lean. Oh in. my gosh. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, look look to that to be a, a source of strength as a as opposed to like um kind of a, a butting of heads mm-hmm. um so that you can get some understanding between your supervisor and they'll, they'll find ways to support you yeah well thanks for writing in that was actually a really good question thank you for sharing that um so remember uh please send your questions to headbosspodcast at gmail.com and we'll be right back Uh, all right, so we're gonna finish this up um, and end with our boss ass bitch and bitch ass boss of the week. And right. I'll let you start. Okay, in rare form, I only have bosses. Um, so, first boss is to um, the Women of Color Podcasters Facebook group. Um, I don't think it's an open group. I think you have to like put in some answers to join, and they're looking for it's women of color. So, yes, that is a space specifically labeled. So go with that. Um, it's basically a spillover from the Spotify bootcamp. Um, there's a Spotify is hosting or supposed to be hosting a week long event for women of color podcasters. I think they're supposed to be doing 10. Um, there's a hashtag rolling around as of last week, they were supposed to announce, uh, um, 
the who the winners are but it, everybody was like waiting at they they were hashtagging it i mean like does anybody heard like maybe they can't say anything if they've won because there's a press release all this other stuff um but then there's a community of folks that have formed outside of that they're like even if we don't get it like let's still stay connected and somehow and support each other and it's been really good and helpful to see other women of color who are either current podcasters or they want to be podcasters they have ideas so it's been a fun group to be a part of thus far. So shout out to people taking stuff like off of this this uh, Spotify thing in competition. And there's a number of folks in the Bay Area. So I'm excited that um, I think one, one person is trying to get us together um, to actually meet in person and do stuff in person. So uh, boss to that group. I can't, I don't remember exactly who started it, but it's been cool to be a part of that. And it's, it's grown pretty quickly. So shout out to them. Um, and then let's see real quick, another boss, Michelle Wolf, who was the, um, the white house correspondence dinner, like the comedian, the roaster, if you will. So she is a paid comedian. They invited her there. Um, and she was fucking hilarious. Like, it was so funny. I listened to her whole bit again this morning on my run. Um, she came for everybody. She came for everybody's scalps. Um, and <laughs> It was so funny. And then like so many people in the audience weren't laughing, but I listened to that bad boy laughing while running. Hashtag laughing while running. That's going to be a new one I use. Yeah. But she's so funny. She's a white woman. Although I had to look deep and I was like, is she a white woman? Because if you look at her picture. I thought, yeah, I thought. Yeah, I was like, was I, little... I'm not sure, but yeah. shout out to her. Her humor is super funny, really dry. She's got this really crunchy voice and she's very much into satirical comedy. So I thought it was hilarious. It was so funny. And I've never watched the full, well, that's a lie. I watched Wanda Sykes when she did it because I was waiting for her to slip up. But I usually don't watch that kind of stuff and I didn't watch it real time, but she was funny. She came for uh, Sarah Huckabee, oh girl. She came for uh, Kellyanne Conway. She came for Ann Coulter. She came for Megan Kelly, uh -huh. orange guy up there, uh -huh. Paul Ryan, Mike. She came for all of them. Um, and it was funny. Yeah. yeah. And people were trying to be like, well, of course, they were all mad. You know, she said like, that about the. And then, like, women should be supporting women. Blah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I was like, bitch, I am. She was funny. <laughs> right. She was very funny. Like, um, I heard she's supposed to have a special coming out on, like, Netflix or something. I was like, I may actually watch. Good. Because she was funny. And at the end, she ended with, like, the people in Flint still don't have clean water. And I was like, you better get your message out there at the end. Mic Thank drop. You. Mic so, drop. She was funny. I was here for it. Um, and the last boss goes to Ava DuVernay, who's been in HBIC. Um, love her. We'll continue to love her. Um, let's see. There was something that came out. So I guess a man that was a part of the was or is a part of the director's screen director's guild of america um called her to warn her that you should already take that at the beginning right called her to warn her that there had been some complaints um that other directors were upset that duvernay uh was recruiting only female directors for her show queen sugar and said she was discriminating oh lord and so she had time and so this was her response thank you friend thank you for that call I invite you to tell whoever is feeling discriminated against to sue me so that I can sue every studio that has left women out. Because we can do this if that's what you want to do. Um, I was like, this was it. 
I don't, I don't even have any more to say, but it's true. Like you want to be like, oh, this is reverse such and such. Go ahead. I have time. Go ahead and do what you have to do so then I can follow up and read your ass until the end. So I was when I run like, out of time, I'm going to reclaim that time. Right? 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 Okay, Auntie Maxine. <laughs> but I just thought that was like, she was like, I have time today. If you're going to do it, don't talk about it, be about it. So she's like, I'll wait. But it was this, it was like this subtle, oh, yeah. like, it was a real short little quote. And I was like, I love this. I love her. Because she's saying, if you're going to do it, go ahead and do it. Who's so, going to check me, boo? Right? <laughs> like, she was having her straight moment there. Yeah. She's like, you don't want none of this. But if you want it, I'm going to give it all to you. You don't get to pick and choose. Don't want none, won't be none. You're going to have all of it. Uh, so those are my three uh, bosses. And yeah. Great. I'm going to keep mine short as well. Um, my bitch uh, goes to Kanye West. Mm. Oh, poor child, poor child. We, we saw this coming, but I didn't see how much further it was going to uh, go. This is messy. I mean, wasn't he the one, wasn't 45 the one that like dismissed your ass when he got, when you went to the inauguration? And now you have the like wherewithal to like want to be his biggest cheerleader still? I, I just don't understand that yeah. because he, I don't pay attention to either one. So, uh, but I mean, it, it's just like he, uh, it's just like someone who is so good is such a good artist. And now we're doing this whole Bill Cosby thing where we have to like compartmentalize and think about, Oh, uh, pre-graduation Kanye is amazing. And, you know, talks about politics and speaks up for his people. And now post Kanye is, I don't know. But it's just sad, and I don't want to talk about the whole mental health issue thing. I just want to he's, – he's just been severing a lot of really important relationships in that industry. And mm -hmm. I don't know where he thinks he's going to continue without those. But last time I checked, uh, I mean, white people still drag my ass over here. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't do it by myself. So, um, yeah, good luck to you, Kanye. I mean, this is going to be an interesting next couple of years. Um, and then I have two bosses. One goes out to, oh, well, no, this is actually a pseudo boss, pseudo bitch. So, um, love that. <laughs> so as you know, Issa Rae, um, published a book a long ass time ago called the <laughs> adventures of <laughs> the misadventures of awkward black girl. And all of a sudden Issa's in the news again, but I was like, huh, I mean, HBO, uh, I mean, uh, insecure doesn't come back till summer. I wonder what this is about. And a group of Black men on Twitter um, called out this passage halfway through her book. And it says, uh, uh, on, these are tweets. So it says, um, now, uh, now let's get some context to the chapter. Several years ago, there were a couple of online dating stories that noted that black women and Asian men were the least desired when it comes to dating websites and apps. Jokes were made about the scenario and a plethora of black women and Asian men dating groups popped up. I mean, why not date each other? And for added context, here's the exact, uh, oh, and then um, it goes on to actually give the actual passage mm -hmm. um i just gave a, a synopsis <coughs> so basically that's what she's talking about it's just um in these kind of these two oppressed communities that kind of get excluded in their own dating worlds why not black men and asian women date you know come together mm -hmm. right it, and it was it was such a small thing she did not 
go on yeah. and on about this for a whole chapter. And then everyone, Blackman got in their feelings and it was like, oh, you know, Issa is trying to, you know, uh, perpetuate this thing of like leaving black men behind and you know black men are good enough for black women and all this like stupid rhetoric um so boohoo <laughs> you're in your feelings well if you can well if you stop leaving the homes right yeah. if you would stop treating you know it goes back to what we were saying before is like you're um, you can't choose when to be a part of this black community yeah not to be women black women are there through everybody's movement. Yeah. Everything. And they're and you don't want to go back further. They were the ones who stayed at home, took care of the kids and everything. Like they have so much strength that y'all need to count your blessings, girl. Yeah. And shut up. <sighs> really? Right. This is yeah. not my boss or bitch, but <laughs> hey, commentary is okay. And then mm-hmm. um and then it goes to boss to Issa for be like, she didn't really say anything. <laughs> she didn't <get laughs> right. any response to that whole thing. It was all on Twitter. But she's just like, I'm busy making season three, y'all. Yeah. This is a done deal. This came out like six years ago. <laughs> so. like, I've already got my check. So. Right. And my last boss uh, goes to this. Uh, hopefully it's multiple seasons, but I think it might just be a one season uh, documentary. Uh, it's called My House. It's on the uh, network Viceland. And My House is have you seen um paris is burning uh a long time ago it, it's basically like a just like an update right it's okay. now paris is burning in the mid 2010s uh and it's about these kids different kids different aspects of the ballroom culture um you have the vogers you have the commentators you have the 007s like it is like just 30 minutes of uh, you know me being a dancer and me also slowly ingraining myself into that culture in San Francisco. It was just so liberating to watch it. It's so well captured to see all these, there's not a single white person because this is not a space for them um, Mm -hmm. on this show. And it is just really cool to see how, if you did see Paris is Burning or didn't, I encourage you to watch it, but it's interesting to see how the struggle hasn't really changed, which is sad. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is still um, comforting that this is an outlet for our youth and also for grown-ass adults who are making ballroom, drag, dance for a living. Um, Because, you know, Manhattan, Brooklyn, whatnot, they still have their issues, and um, it's educating, like, a new generation of people about this scene. So it's just so well put together. There's only been two episodes. There's more weeks to come, so I highly encourage you to watch it it's called my house on viceland and they are not giving me any kind of residuals for that <laughs> wait a minute, how do i find viceland old person here so they the first ep- episode is free on the network on the website i mean um because okay. viceland is a premium private network okay so you can't get it on regular cable but you can watch the first episode and then um i don't know how you're gonna watch the rest of the season okay <laughs> wow <laughs> i don't know how you're gonna do the rest of that but the first Unless one you pay fire. For <laughs> fire on that fire. first one good luck on the rest uh, noted all right so that ends our episode for the week uh please stay in touch with us through our different social media channels we're on facebook twitter and instagram instagram 
I'm the captain now. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get that out of my head now. Uh, and then uh, please write us your reviews of our show. Um, send us emails, questions to headbosspodcast at gmail.com. And then listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. All right. Um, that's all we got. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye. Cause it's just another day in the life of the goddamn boss